0: Matthew six nineteen 19-34 Teaching about money and possessions. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or sow food in barns where your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon is all his glory, And all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are and if god cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow he will certainly care for you why do you have so little faith Mm. so don't worry about these things saying what will we eat what will we drink what will we wear these these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly father already knows all your needs Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring in its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. All right. Just like we say, action.
1: Thank you. Uh, take a journey with me. <laughs> On your favorite day of the week, which I'm going to assume that is either Saturday or Sunday for everyone in this room, Uh, so weekend, you wake up, you stretch, and you have a nagging feeling that you must tend to. For many of us, the whole reason you woke up was that you heard the sound of the ever-present and annoying buzz of a silenced phone, (laughs) or the ding of a phone you forgot to put on silent. Uh, You must check who or what is fighting for your attention. And so you read the message that woke you up, but then you find yourself scrolling through your feed as if something life-changing perhaps happened while you were asleep. (laughs) And after 20 minutes, you've already been bombarded by a slew of lifestyle pictures and sponsorships that stir in you a desire to acquire more. And you get up walk into your bathroom uh, and if you're anything like me you you pick up your mineral toothpaste that believes that small improvements to daily habits lead to a meaningful change so why not start with the first thing you do in the morning and then you jump in the shower and clean your head with shampoo that will keep you head and shoulders above the rest or Or, for some of you non-chemical people in the room, a shampoo that promises to willingly release what no longer serves you. And since it is the weekend, your athleisure attire is most appropriate, so you put on a shirt that encourages you to carpe diem while shouting, just do it. or encouraging you to be well in every aspect of your life, physically, mentally, socially. Uh, you get in your car that, ad, that uh, advertised and sold you on some version of the good life being full of adventure and due to FOMO or the fear of missing out, you, you bought a car that may have been over your budget. You drive to the nearest coffee shop that wants to be a part of your daily rhythm or pattern. And for you non-coffee snobs, you visit the, bu- the coffee shop that boasts the fact that it has over 33,000 stores worldwide and whose mission is to inspire and nurture the human spirit. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. We're 7-11 <laughs> <laughs> open 24 hours a day 7 days a week <laughs> let's not even mention the countless numbers of billboards that you had to drive by that promised to deliver some version of the good life of this kingdom and if truth be told you didn't even notice the billboards because you're, we are so desensitized to the story that we don't even notice anymore mm-hmm. and oh by the way it's only 9 a.m. And for our sake of uh, our time together, I I won't get into the intentional maze that is the mall and its various strategies to pique your desire for more by giving you some version of the good life that only fades away or the grocery store that tempts you with delight so that you spend what you do not have so that you can indulge in the pleasure of the sea salt pumpkin spice chocolate chip cookie.
0: whole foods
1: (laughs) you see this week I was asking Lauren a question and I happened to also ask some of the guys at the gym do you ever feel like you're in a matrix now, I don't want to go into some uh, philosophical diatribe or whether or not the matrix is actually real for those of you that have seen the movie, but, but here was what I was getting at with the question where it seems like everything around you has intentionally been programmed and presented to you in, that, in a way where you realize this is not just a coincidence. Like we didn't just get here randomly. And so I dove deep uh, that particular morning and I was able to get an answer. Here's the answer. After World War I, uh, the West, America in particular, was in a situation where the war was over, but our nation had produced so much that uh, uh, government and even leaders uh, began to worry about overproduction and, over, and this worry began to seep in. So the worrisome question that they began to consider is, what if people acquired enough goods and simply stopped buying? That would be detrimental to any economy. And the way forward was then introduced by a man named Paul Mazur of the Lehman Brothers, who said the following, We must shift America from a needs to a desire culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And so a new kind of advertising was pioneered uh, through a man named Edward Bernays, who is known as the father of public relations that what he decided to do uh, to be able to answer this question is to tap into what he called the subconscious desires of man. It was the kind of advertising that switched from simply laying out the functionality of a product, so uh, let's take the shampoo for example that we talked about where you really willingly release the things that no longer serve you and rather than just talking about how effective it is to clean your hair, it actually talks about what your soul is desiring and that is to willingly release the things that no longer serve you. And so rather than laying, uh, simply laying out the functionality of the product, uh, To delivering a message about how a product was able to satisfy your longings or your desires. And oh, by the way, if you didn't know this, Edward Bernays was also the nephew of Sigmund Freud and used many of Freud's theories of psychoanalysis to solidify his own theories on public relations. He was so successful in tapping into people's subconscious desires that today we've identified the philosophical shift that occurred as, uh, as consumerism. And if truth be told, we now get our meaning in life from the things that we consume. We attempt to find fulfillment in our things to the detriment of our relationship with people and with God. And we attempt to acquire more in case the one more thing that we acquire will be the one that satisfies the longings that we have deep in our soul. We've been in a series titled, The Kingdom Has Come. In these last few weeks, we've accomplished, uh, we've, we've tried to accomplish two goals. One, to understand what is the kingdom of God. And two, to learn how to live in the kingdom of God. And we've come to understand that we live, currently live, in the overlap of heaven and earth, right? So this uh, place in the middle where the cross is found, uh, that is the overlap of heaven and earth. And as agents of renewal and reconciliation, the way we live in the kingdom, or as theologians would call this particular area in the already but not yet, we have said that the way that we live in this kingdom and in this time is through spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. Spiritual practices help demystify and humanize the way we live in the kingdom of God here and now, albeit with some level of mystery still. Spiritual practices are the way that we get to God who it can bring true satisfaction to what we call the soul growls that we have, right? So when we talked about fasting, we talked about allowing fasting and the, and the, um, the abstaining from food, that the physical hunger that we experience, that it would, be a vo- that it would give voice to the uh, soul hunger that we have inside that only God can satisfy, you see, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says the following. I'm going to read the whole thing. <laughs> the Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel uh, sexual desire. Well, there is a thing, such a thing as sex. I must take care on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. Mm-hmm. I must keep in my, in, alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get, get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life, To press on to the other country and to help others do the same. So, our hope and our aim have been to inspire you uh, uh, in you, to aspire in you a desire to pursue the spiritual practices that we're committed to building uh, our community around and developing leaders around and developing our souls around. And that is prayer, fasting, silence, and solitude. Scripture, simplicity, living in community, Sabbath, generosity. And what I want to address today is honestly the seat of our desire. That we've already talked about uh, prayer, fasting, silence, and solitude. Last week, uh, Lauren did an incredible job of talking about scripture. And so today, we're going to talk about uh, simplicity, community, and generosity. And if we're going to uh, live in a world that attempts to socially engineer us to desire, we must walk into this world with open eyes to see what is at the core of our desires. So to make it plain and simple, at the core of our desire, you ready for it, is love. Love is at the seat of our desire. All of your affections are shaped by love. So what we need to come to terms is who or what is my love pursuing? Because none of us are passively standing by. All of us are actively pursuing or even being shaped by what our affections are continually leading us unto. And it is no wonder that we call the way we live in the kingdom, not only spiritual practices, but we also call these spiritual disciplines. Because scripture teaches us that we wake up each day drifting, drifting unto our selfish desires. And so we must discipline ourselves to seek after the kingdom of God and not build our own kingdom of desires that never satisfy. So where prayer, fasting, silence and solitude, scripture uh, and scripture all primarily deal with our love of God, I contend that simplicity generosity, and community not only deal with our love for God, but also our love for one another. Mm-hmm. And so in our passage today, uh, Jesus is found uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he gets to a point where he, uh, chapter 6, if you look at the entirety of the chapter, he addresses prayer and he introduces the Lord's Prayer and then he talks about fasting And then he dives into some matters that before Jesus' time, during Jesus' time, and up until our time today, anyone with breath in your lungs has at some point obsessed or worried over each of these things, which is treasure, i.e. money, food, and clothing. Everyone in here has at some point obsessed over one of those, if not all three of those things. And so there are four particular verses that I, uh, uh, that I want to address, uh, but four verses broken up in two parts. The first two are important to address now, and then I'll address the last two at the end. You ready? Are you ready? Let's go. Let's start with verses 22 and, uh, through 23. Jesus is speaking and he's preaching and he says the I now, mind you, the context of this is that before he goes into these verses, he's talking about storing up uh, treasures on this earth and, and not to do that versus storing up treasures in heaven. And then he gets to this really awkward uh, two verses, if you will, where he talks about in the middle of this, where he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the question that is begging to be answered here is what does it mean for our eyes to be healthy? You see, for that, rabbis, an evil eye indicated and still indicates selfishness, mm. meaning that you have an ulterior motive to only be concerned for yourself and your own gain. Therefore, your treasure is going to be a treasure that is hidden and coinciding with the metaphor of masters that Jesus uses and is only mentioned of another God in the New Testament whenever he says, you cannot serve God in money or cannot serve God in mammon. It says that you will be a slave to storing up these treasures that will only be destroyed by moth, something so insignificant, but yet will be destroyed or stolen by thieves, And both of these are circumstances beyond our control. Essentially, what he's describing here is that you will be overcome with darkness if you are selfish. Mm -hmm. But if you have a healthy eye, Jesus is saying that you are generous with your treasure That your good eyes are eyes that are fixed on God, unwavering in your gaze, constant in their fixation. And your treasure is then serving a master who happens to also be a father that knows what you need and he delights in giving it to you. And it's a treasure that is stored up in the kingdom where he promises the gift of life. And so when Jesus mentions the concept of storing up treasure in heaven, it also is usually accompanied throughout the gospels. It's usually accompanied by selling your earthly possessions and giving them away to either gain friends, to help the poor, and to do good. And so essentially what Jesus is saying here is don't allow the darkness to take over. Mm. And to go back to the metaphor that he uses of masters, Jesus here is directly saying that your generosity is directly related or directly correlated to your kingdom loyalty. Will you serve God and be loyal to him in his kingdom? Or will you serve mammon and be loyal to mammon in the kingdom of money and selfish gain? In serving implies love loving yeah. does your heart reveal love that is demonstrated to others by being generous or does it reveal a love demonstrated towards self by only thinking of your own selfish gain? Yeah. you see generosity also demands simplicity mm-hmm. practicing generosity forces us to evaluate the treasure of our heart And not only forces us to evaluate the treasure of our heart, it also forces us to evaluate the hard currency that is found in our wallets. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Whether it's a credit card or the actual (laughs) bills that are in there. (laughs) (laughs) You see, living simply structures our lives in such a way that becomes more freeing, is what we have said. Mm -hmm. We have less decisions to make because we have less stuff we have to consider. Living simply makes room for your treasure to not be given to things that eventually fade away, but aids in being loyal to the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Living simply makes room for us to love one another because you're not controlled by the next bill that you have to pay off being either the fifth iPad that you own or the, or the one generation upgrade to your iPhone or your current year's car model. Instead, it makes room for you to be able to focus on the kingdom of God and free up your treasure to love others. Yeah. Yeah. You see, Jesus in Luke 12, 15 says that we need to watch out. There's an exclam- there's an, th- that's an exclamatory remark that Jesus makes there. And he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Because this is in direct opposition and contrast to the narrative of what our, our culture today says. And that is that the more you have, the happier you'll be. Now, I want to pause there and just say this. Jesus is not after your stuff. Okay, he's not he's not just necessarily coming after your possessions. And let me just say this real quick. You're probably as I'm saying this, uh, my temptation if I was in your seat is that I would look around this house and I would be like, well, Johnny, you got a lot of stuff in here. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But here's here's what I'll say. Jesus is not after your stuff. What Jesus is after is that he's after your heart. And it's whether or not these possessions that you have around you are actually going to be the things that are going to control you or have you rather than you having the possessions. You see, Jesus is after your heart and he's ferociously after it. I mean, look at verses 25 and 27 uh, or through 27. What is Jesus addressing here? He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? What is Jesus addressing here? Some of you may say that he's addressing the um, uh, what you'll eat and drink and food and time, and, and but he's addressing worry. Yeah. He's he's addressing the fact that something happens in our souls when we worry about the wrong things. And he goes as far as addressing the thing that we can't even add to our lives, and that is time. And yet his message is the same for our stuff, our nourishment, and our lives. Do not worry, is what he says. Now, check out what I found in the theological dictionary of the New Testament. I was pretty stoked when I saw this. This is what this writer uh, says. He says, the New Testament realizes that life is swayed by care. Concern is unavoidable, but it is given a new orientation. Uh, Liberation from it comes as one cast it upon God, not because God grants every wish, but because prayer grants freedom from care. To be anxious about food or clothing is opposed to concern for the kingdom of God. Naturally, we have to work, but we cannot secure le- life by care. Our concern must be for the kingdom. To care for the world is to fall victim to it. If care gains control over us, it leads to apostasy, according to Luke 20, 21, 34. And we must focus on the one thing needful, confronting worldly ties with a hasme or as if we didn't have type of attitude. We belong to the coming aeon or age and must be ready for it. But this entails care for others as members of the same body. So here's what I want to encourage us unto. To practice generosity by by living simply so that we can make room to love others. Practice generosity by living simply so we can make room to love others. You see, living in community is so important. The Lord uses you to orient my heart toward the things that matter, which is God and his kingdom. Because if you don't know this, I want you to know this. You stir me to care. I remember... um, uh, early on, very early on, as I was going through uh, Bible school, and I remember turning to Lauren very early on in our marriage, and I and I and as a, as an introvert, I just remember being so depleted that I turned to Lauren and I said, "I hate people," <laughs> and she turned to me and she goes, "Okay, Pastor, that's not allowed," you know. <laughs> But the truth is is that whenever I'm around you guys and whenever I'm around others, you stir me to care and to care about God and to care about his kingdom. And my love for God increases when I think about your desire to love God and others more as well. And as Hebrews would say, you spur me uh, toward love and good deeds. You see, because I don't want to give up meeting together with you. We have fun together. We seek the Lord together, we laugh together, we cry together, and we enjoy the company of each other. At least I do. And so our goal here at Ecclesia City is is to make Ecclesia City an easier place to connect than, than connecting on some dating or hookup app. That's our goal. I heard John Tyson in New York City uh, say, shame on the church for being a place that, doesn't, that, that makes connecting more difficult than being able to connect on a dating app. <clears throat> and money is not the main way we facilitate it. However, it's, an, it's important to be able to facilitate it. You see, in a study done by Princeton University, uh, Shout out uh, to Princeton. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't do this because I knew you were coming. I don't use studies from Princeton. Oh, okay. (laughs) Says the man that graduated. Just kidding. I'm kidding. 470,000 Gallup surveys were analyzed and it was concluded that overall well-being does rise with your income. However, it plateaus or begins to decline when you make $75,000 or more per year. So that means that once you reach what most Westerners classify as a middle-class life, more money or stuff can't make you happier. John Mark Comer in Ruthless Elimination of Hurry says, the truth, poverty is really hard And middle-class life is a real gift. But after that, it's the law of diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. In fact, more money might just be more
0: problems.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But wherever you fall in the socioeconomic stratum, the most important things in life aren't things at all. They are relationships with family, friends, and above all, God. So here's where I want to end, is I'll end with these last two verses. 632 and 333. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Did you see that? Pagans run after all these things. He just described uh, food, clothing, time, and he's telling you, don't worry. And he says, the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father, he knows that you need them but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, you're called a pagan or someone who does not know God or has turned their back on God if you run after the things of this world and trying to live unto selfish gain or or if the, if the light of your eyes is dark, in other words. And Jesus here shepherds us by reminding us that we have a father who knows that we need things. And yet Jesus' aim is not things, but our heart. What does he say? He says to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. First. And then there's a promise to this. All these things, food, drink, clothing, and money, They will be given to you as well. And so if the seat of our desire is love, let's love God and let's love his kingdom. And let's seek the one that our hearts desire. Let's make room for him by living simply. And then let's give to him. So during a few practical questions that I want us to consider during ministry time, and ways to practice generosity and simplicity and living in community. Number one, consider, because of what you have been given or because of what you, Lord, have given me, how much should I give? And I want to encourage you uh, that to give is to give also to your local church. We're all here in this together, trying to build Ecclesia City. And, and we're in this to be able to bring, to be a gathered people in the city for the renewal of all things. And if we're going to be about the renewal of all things, the way that we do that is through generosity. And as I've, we've already challenged and explained in our generosity teaching in the Distinct series, I want to encourage you, if you haven't started, to start minimally, 10%. We're not going to be legalistic about a tithe. There's no, uh, we don't believe here that uh, if you don't tithe, that you'll be under a curse. However, there is a standard. There is something that Jesus himself or even even the scriptures would encourage us. And that is to start with 10% of our income each month. And I just want to say this, together, we can do more than what we're able to do individually. Number two, because of what you're calling me to, God, how can I make room for you? Evaluate what you worry about often and give it to the Lord. If it is stuff, give the stuff away. If it is food, fast for a few days. If it's media and TV, give it up for a season. But don't just make room and not fill it. Yeah. Fill it with seeking the Lord and doing the things that stir your love for him in His kingdom. I'm already encouraged, honestly, by a, a few of you who have said, I'm giving up this type of media or I'm giving up food and I just want to seek after the Lord and I'm going to do it for until Jesus says or for the next three days. I was, I'm blown away by that because I know that the Lord is starting to work in our midst and is, and is uh, just after our hearts. And number three, because of how you wired me, how can I serve my community? How can I live in my community? Consider today who is needing mercy or is needing grace in your life or is needing mercy and grace in your sphere of influence, invite them to coffee, go to lunch, or simply just go on a walk. Like truly, we don't do that anymore. Serve them, love them, and do so without worrying. Because if we're really going to consider this, one of the ways that we, uh, I want to transition us into one of the ways that we, uh, uh, or one of the places that we look to is particularly whenever we consider the life of Jesus and what he has done. I don't know if you... um, uh, have recognized this. I was listening to a podcast this week, but one of the things that was, that was being highlighted there and something that I just have been thinking about is just this idea uh, that, that, that Jesus didn't really concern himself with the things that were going on in the culture or even he didn't have social media, but, but the, whatever the equivalent of social media would have been in his day. but instead he was about his father's business each and every day. And, and whenever he felt like he needed to get away, he went away with the father and he went away with those that he loved, with his close people of community. And you know what? He lived simply. And he encouraged those that were in his inner circle and those that were following him, he encouraged them to do the same. And oh, by the way, if you don't remember, Whenever the disciples started worrying about what they were going to feed, the 3,000 and the 5,000, Jesus said, sit down. I've got this. And he takes two fish and five loaves of bread and he feeds thousands of people. And for the rest of our lives, he's feeding us and the way that he feeds us is through his body what we would take today as in communion as the bread. And his broken body for us is a symbol that he is consistently and constantly nourishing us and providing for us, that he is the bread of life that is able to satisfy the soul groanings that we have inside and he's able to satisfy the hunger that we have. And he provided his blood, his blood that was shed to cover over our sin, the, 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 uh, the sin that so easily entangles, that causes us to run after things that uh, don't satisfy or the things that cause the light in us to be dark. He shed his blood for us. And he actually asked us, which is, I don't know about you, but it's weird to me, but man, what, is, what a mystery it is. He asked us to drink of his blood. And that when we do, that we, he is able to satisfy our thirsty souls. And so today we're gonna partake of communion together. And I want you to come up here, grab a piece, tear it off, dip it in the cup, and that you would remember the way that Jesus has lived simply, he lived generously, and he lived in community. And that he is the perfect example of what we want to imitate and follow. And then that you would just take time after that to pray for one another. And consider these questions. And if you don't know, if you don't have anything in particular that you feel like the spirit of God is leading you to pray for with one another. Just ask, is there something I can pray with you on? And if you don't know what to pray, that you would lay a hand on their shoulder and just say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you do a work? And so God, I just ask during this time that you would solidify your word in us. That Lord, that you ask us to seek after your kingdom first. We sing today, hallelujah, hallowed be your name for the king of heaven reigns. And we just say that you reign over us here and that you reign over our stuff, that you reign over our things. And so Lord, we just gladly serve you and want to give our lives to serve you. And Lord, if there be any person in this room that is maybe on the fence, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would minister, that you would draw near And that, Lord, each and every day that you, and at every point, at every second that we are able to have, that you would show us that your way is better. Your way is better. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, Father. We need you, Jesus. Will you draw near in this moment? Whenever you're ready, come partake of the elements and let's pray for one another.